0: This is what we look forward to. Of course, we've been going through a study of Nehemiah, and look forward to uh, talking about chapters 9 and 10 with you uh, this evening. Um, Before we do that, let's go to God in prayer. Our great God and Father in heaven, we come before you as your people. We seek your face, and we uh, desire your uh, blessings to be upon us. We praise you as the Almighty God. You are the one who was before all things, and in your Son, you created all things. And you brought all of these things into existence, and then, um, and then us as well. And you've made us your people, and you've given us your word, and we give you our uh, undying praise for these things. Father, we're opening your word this evening, and studying from your people of old, And we desire you to grant us wisdom in the study of your word, that we can see the lessons and understand how you would have us to live as we read these words, even this very night. So please grant it to us. You are the God who gives um, uh, liberally uh, what is good to your people. We pray your blessings to be upon us, all of us in fact, for each one, whatever is needed at this very moment. And we pray that we can have a spirit of unity and of faith and of true hearts that seek you, seek you with full hearts in our entire devotion. Please help us in this. We pray that you forgive our sins. We have been unfaithful to you and we uh, get distracted. We sometimes fear. And we pray you to forgive us. Grant us a clean slate with which to serve You in boldness and confidence in Your service. And we pray that You uh, be with us. Protect us from the evil one. Help us to love one another. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, I'd be asking you to turn in your uh, Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 9. We've come so far and so quickly. Seems to me anyway. We'll be wrapping up this study, in fact, next week, Lord willing. We need to remember what we've seen. What have we seen so far in the book of Nehemiah? What about it? Well, first there's Nehemiah. And when he is away in captivity, he hears the report that things are not well with the people of God. They're in distress. There's reproach. uh, And the city itself is all broken down, which is um, not only a reproach, but a danger to them. And Nehemiah has the heart to seek the welfare of God's people. And in doing that, he goes to the king. And the king grants him permission, um, because the good hand of the Lord was upon him. And he goes back. And he convinces the people to rebuild. And they follow his uh, zeal with their own And they rebuild the wall. They had some trouble doing this, right? The enemies wanted to stop them at every turn and they harassed them and threatened them. But God's people continued to carry out God's purpose in spite of all these things. Oh, the lessons we've learned from uh, this book so far. Um, And we've seen that Nehemiah was a man who seeks God's word, who has God's word written on his heart. And that's what we're seeking to accomplish in our study, even this very evening, that we have these things written on our hearts. Um, And so in turning to chapter 9, the people have just uh, completed a feast, and this feast is a, a restoration they these things were not even not had not been done since the days of Joshua. But they're reading God's law and they say, "We are going to follow it now." And the the dedication we see in chapter nine, as the people turn and seek uh, the Lord, is absolutely remarkable. Let's talk about giving the sense of chapter nine. You remember what we've said so far in that good Bible study will consist of reading God's Word and giving the sense so we get, get really get the idea of what it's saying and how it relates to our lives as Christians. We live in this new covenant, and these people lived in the old covenant. But God said, I wrote these things down for your learning, and we are to be learning from these things. And in an effort to do that, we're trying to give the sense of these words and make sure uh, that they're understood, especially in light of the New Testament applications. So hopefully we'll accomplish that this week. What's going on in chapter 9? Well, first of all, um, you see two things on the part of the people. For the first five verses, you'll see that they are amending their ways. And we'll say a good deal about that. Um, But then from verses 5 down through uh, really essentially the end... What you you read is something that sounds a lot lot like some of the Psalms. Um, It sounds like an abridged history lesson of the people of God. What's this about? And what's the purpose of this? Well, you're reading it, right? They are telling the wonderful works of God. And this has great significance. Um, Psalm 105, verses 1 through 3. Oh, give thanks to the Lord... Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the people. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Speak of all His wonders. Glory in His holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. And just a note on that last part, the Word is being read to God's people. They're mourning because this is very heavy. They're not following God's law. And they're mourning. And the the leaders say, don't mourn. This is a time of rejoicing because you have understood the words of the Lord. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. But what are we saying? We're saying we need to be telling about the works of God. And the psalmist says you need to be telling about the works and the, um, about the name of God and His deeds and all His wonders. Psalm 135 verse 4 starts to make it a little bit more clear Uh, at least one of the reasons that this is the case. Why are we telling His works? It says, One generation shall commend, and that's speak highly of, speak favorably of, they shall commend your works to another. So this generation speaks highly and talks about the Lord's works to the next generation. And they shall declare your mighty acts. And so we're starting to see um, the the importance and the gravity of speaking and telling the works of the Lord. Why is it so important? Well, let's let's show an example of what happens when this is not done. So you remember that you remember Joshua, such a good and faithful man. Well, immediately after he died, you, what you read in Judges chapter two is a generation. That generation was gathered to its fathers. And there was another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which He had done for Israel. And so those two things actually go hand in hand. We see they didn't even know the Lord. And why did they not know the Lord? Because the earlier generations had not been telling about the Lord and telling His deeds and telling His works. They did not know Him and they did not know the work um, that He had done for Israel. God's people need to know God. The fact of the matter is actually that in the new covenant, God's people and his, his new covenant people, they are the people who know the Lord. And I'll just remind you, we've mentioned it before in Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31 tells of a new covenant time. And it says this, it's an interesting statement. They will not teach again every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord. They don't have to do that. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. So God's people need to know the Lord and they will when uh, they tell of his wondrous works and his wondrous deeds. And that's what we'll be reading um, starting in verse five and, and learning, I think, a great deal from that. God's people need to know that he's a jealous God. Otherwise, they uh, may think little of turning from Him and serving other gods. And Israel needed to know that, and we need to learn the lesson that they did not, uh, at least at first. They need to know that He's a faithful God, and He will do what He promises. I'll tell you in in advance. We will be reading of God doing what He promised. Um, And He'll do this if they are true and faithful to Him. And in some cases, He'll do this in spite of the fact that they've turned and, and rejected him. <clears throat> they need to know that he is a righteous and true God um, and that he will judge unrighteousness. Um, and that will keep us uh, from, from turning our backs on him. We could go on for many more minutes to under, in terms of what it is that knowing God does for us. Um, but we'll, we'll see a, a lot of that through the text. Let's begin reading in verse 1, where, we, as we said, the people have um, become committed to amending their ways. So on the four, 24th day of this month, this is there just after the feast, uh, the sons of Israel assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with dirt upon them and the descendants of Israel separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquity of their fathers <clears throat> if you recall they've been, they've been spending a good uh, a great deal of time in God's word they they all assembled remember as one man they said we will hear the words of God read to us and they showed up at light says very early in the morning literally <laughs> Daybreak, as soon as it was light, and stood there till midday. And then throughout this feast we just read about, for seven days, every day, the law of the Lord was read to them. They've been spending a great deal of time hearing God's word, and it is changing them. Um, what you have here is the attitude of James 1. You remember what James 1 says? It says, you know, you're going to be hearing the, the, the law of God, the perfect law of liberty, and there you might have one of one of two responses to that. You could easily go away and be a forgetful hearer, and it does you no good. And it's like, what does it say? It's like looking in a mirror. The word of God will show you what you are, but it does you no good if you turn a, turn away and, and um, you've immediately forgotten what you've seen. But um, what you're looking, what we're looking for, is effectual doers. Uh, James says. Um. So instead of quickly going away and forgetting, they're becoming doers of the word. Uh, And they see it requires them to change. And they desire a right standing with the Lord. I know this because James 4 says this, Draw near to God, and this is what you'll see the people doing. So watch for this. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded Be miserable and mourn and weep. These people in sackcloth, uh, dirt upon them, uh, fasting and mourning. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. What a beautiful thing to see God's people uh, doing this and drawing near to the Lord uh, and seeking His favor. Isaiah 66, verse 2 says, "...God is highly exalted, but the one He will have favor toward," and the one he, it says He will look to, um, or the one He will esteem, "...is the one uh, who is humble and contrite in spirit, and who trembles at My word." Do you remember back in Ezra, the people read from the word of the Lord, and they understood it, and they trembled. And I get the impression something very similar to that is happening Here. Um, as the people um, are being changed by God's Word. And it says there in verse 2, um, an additional note, they separated themselves from all foreigners. And uh, the idea here is that they are getting away from what is unholy. And this is the exhortation given to us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, you will remember, and this, of course, is, is a, an Old Testament uh, quote, but uh, he, he sa- it says there, "...therefore..." Come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. So this is what the, uh, the people are doing here. And while they stood in their place, they read from the book of the law of the Lord, um, the, the, the Lord their God, for a fourth of the day, and for another fourth they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Uh, now on the Levites' platform stood Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Bunai. So again, we're seeing all the leaders of the people um, ahead of them and uh, leading them in this worship. And that's what you start, begin to see as we uh, change gears in verse 5. Like we said, very much akin to some of the psalms that tell of the, the history of God's people, but it's trying to convey who God is. And what this means uh, to them in, in terms of God's character. And they um, instruct the people there in the middle of verse 5, Arise, bless the Lord your God forever and ever. And it sounds like the leaders of the people supply this. Maybe it is a psalm that they've um, put together or, or something maybe spontaneous. Um, but it sounds very much like a psalm. And so it may be that they supplied this to the people in terms of something that they could uh, say along with the leaders or repeat back to the leaders. That was a common way of them uh, singing songs, and that could be very well what we're seeing here. But in any case, they're being led in a retelling of their history, which will be very helpful for them if they will um, hear it out, and I believe they, they do, and we'll see evidence of that at the end. They begin their words of praise like this in verse five. "O oh, may thy glorious name be blessed and exalted above all blessing and praise. Thou alone art the Lord. Thou hast made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. And thou dost give life to all of them and the heavenly hosts bow down before you. Do you hear the Psalms in this? They're being heavily influenced by um, those words. Thou art the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out from Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name Abraham. And thou didst find his heart faithful before thee and didst make a covenant with him to give him the land of the Canaanite, of the Hittite, of the Amorite, of the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. To give it to his descendants. And thou hast fulfilled thy promise. For thou art righteous. There are those that would say. That um, we need to be looking for a time. When uh, God gives the Jews. The land of Palestine. And he's going to set up. An eternal or or no. a, A millennial kingdom there. And all of these things. They are wasting their time. And Joshua Uh, chapter 21 and verse 45 establishes this for us. Um, What we've read here is that He has fulfilled His promise. And all the way back in Joshua, it was true. Because they'd gone into the land, they'd conquered the land, they had settled in the land, and it says, not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. This has all been completed. God fulfills His promises. Keep watching for that as we read through this. Um, So the Lord has already completed these things. Um, But what has happened, of course, with the Jews is that they rejected uh, the Lord uh, for many centuries. And um, rejected His final messenger in the Messiah, the ultimate rejection. And the Jews of the first century um, had no use for God or His ways and he threw them away. That's the truth of the matter with with regard to the Lord having fulfilled his promises, and no more needs to be done on that account in terms of the promises to Abraham and the land. But let's quickly move along to see, starting in verse 9, as we're retelling the history, we've seen Abraham in the very earliest beginnings of the children of Israel. Um, But then starting in verse 9, the retelling of the Exodus. And listen how it begins, because this has a great importance to us. In verse 9, Thou didst see the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and didst hear their cry by the Red Sea. God sees the affliction of His people. Um, This harks forward to a time when, in the fullness of time, now you see what we're saying here, in the fullness of time, God would see the affliction of His people. Romans um, chapter 5 says we were, still, we were helpless. And at that time, while we were still helpless, uh, Christ died for the ungodly and God brought all these things to pass. He saw the affliction of His people and brought about a great deliverance. Um, and so the retelling of this reminds us and causes us to think about our uh, affliction and then the deliverance that was accomplished uh, for us, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 says, He rescued us, he, or He delivered us, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. And we saw foreshadowings of that here in uh, the, um, the account of Israel. And in this retelling of it, we are reminded. Verse 10, thou didst perform signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants and all the people of the land. For thou didst know that they acted arrogantly toward them, and didst make a name for thyself as it is this day. And then you divided the sea, and they passed through on dry ground. But the pursuers thou didst hurl into the depths like a stone into raging water. And with a pillar of cloud thou didst lead them by day, and with a pillar of fire by night, to light for them the way in which they were to go. I believe here we're seeing the, um, the earliest picture of the way the Holy Spirit um, will lead us, but not much more on that at this point. Verse 13, uh, verse 13 through 15 actually, you'll see the provisions of the Lord. And what we're seeing is He provides for their spiritual well-being. And He provides for their bodily well-being. And He did this the entirety of the time where they were in the wilderness. And He continues to do this for His people. Um, Jehovah Jireh. Do you remember our lesson? God provides. Um, so look in verse 13. It's the spiritual provisions. Then thou dost come down on Mount Sinai and didst speak with them from heaven. And thou dost give them tr- just ordinances and true laws good statutes and commandments. So thou didst make known to them thy holy Sabbath, and didst lay down for them commandments, statutes, and law through thy servant Moses. So we're saying these are their spiritual provisions. How is that the case? Well, uh, recall Deuteronomy cha- uh, chapter 32, verse 47. It says, These words are not idle words for you. They are your life. It's life for us to follow the words of the Lord. And so he's this is for their spiritual uh, sustenance and their spiritual well-being. 2nd Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, all that we need for our uh, spiritual well-being. And then we said also he didn't neglect the bodily provisions, and that's what we see in verse 15. And he does it in the most spectacular way possible. Thou didst provide bread from heaven for them, for their hunger, and thou didst bring forth water for, uh, from a rock for them, uh, for their thirst. And thou didst tell them to enter in order to possess the land which thou didst swear to them. So he has seen to every uh, aspect of the needs of his people, and and so it is with us as well, as we've already said. Now, verse sixteen, things have turned. And the tone is uh, different because it starts with these two uh, painful words. But they, but they, our fathers, acted arrogantly. They became stubborn and would not listen to thy commandments. And they refused to listen and did not remember. Now listen here. Did not remember thy wondrous deeds, which thou hast performed among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt But thou art a God of forgiveness. Uh, More on that in just a minute. Um, Verse 17 is is absolutely a sermon by itself. So we're touching on it now, and it's a fair game uh, for anybody else to uh, fill in what we don't say tonight. Um, But first of all, what you see is they refuse to listen. Um, And what hope is there for any people who refuse to listen to the words of God? And it's no surprise to see then that they did not remember, and it says it did not remember your wondrous deeds. And what more do we need to say about this? We've already said, we see the importance of telling, and this is what we're doing in this chapter, of telling the works of God. And they didn't do it, and so the people forgot. Um, maybe you think we don't need to say more about that, but in fact, I guess we are going to. But then it says they became um, stubborn. Um, But again, it turns on a dime and says, this is is the worst possible thing for the the people of God. But thou, middle of verse 17, see. But thou art a God of forgiveness. And, And see if these words sound familiar to you. Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. And thou didst not forsake them. Well, of course they're familiar to you. The Psalms are riddled with them. But it goes back, and uh, we'll remind ourselves again, of the name character of God. This is, a, again, a reference, and we're just calling it that for, for lack of a better way of saying it. Um, the name character of God. Because God, you remember the occasion, just reminding ourselves, God is going to... Uh, pass by and show Moses his glory. He says, I will declare my name to you. And when he did, it's this, what you're reading right here. The Lord, the Lord God, and then here are the words we read in Nehemiah, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. And he goes on to speak of the way he will punish Those who have their face absolutely set to do evil. And all of these things are tied up into the name and the character of God. And they reference it here again And everything we read. Everything we read in this chapter and in the rest of the pages of the Old Testament is because of what we read right there. This explains it. It tells us what will happen. And we we can know that God is consistent with his character. Um, And this is who he is. I am who I am. And it says, and thou didst not forsake them. And this is on the basis of his steadfast loving kindness that he is keeping for them. Um, Let's come along to read verse 18. Even when they made for themselves uh, a calf of molten metal and said, this is your God who brought you up from Egypt and committed great blasphemies, thou, in thy great compassion, didst not forsake them in the wilderness. You see this, even when, and that just goes to show the great extent to which they rejected him. How do you get to the point where you take off your jewelry and melt it down and build this image and say, this is your God? Well, let's make sure we don't do that. Okay? But, um, but they had done it. Um, And this just causes me to recall the words of Ezra, actually. Um, The people said, and it was true, in Ezra chapter 9, verse 13, I think I have this on here. Yes. You, our God, have requited us or punished us less than our iniquities deserve. Yes. Absolutely. And you see that on this. How can a God forgive such things? This complete rejection. How can He do it? Well, Because he's punishing us less than our iniquities deserve. And he has loving kindness that uh, exceeds the imagination. You did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not leave them by day to guide them on their way. There's a little bit of poetry there. Nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way in which they were to go. And we can continue to look for this, his compassion, as we're reading This chapter. And thou dost give them thy good spirit to instruct them. And thy manna thou dost not withhold from their mouth. Do you see again the the 2 parts provisions for their spiritual and and, and bodily well-being. And thou dost give them water for their thirst. And then verse 21. Indeed, forty years thou dost provide for them in the wilderness. And here are a couple very curious statements which we've seen before. And they were not in want. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. Of all the things that are said um, about the exodus and their time of wandering in the wilderness, um, these are some of the the most humorous. It's like God is taking care of them in dramatic fashion. But he's seen to even the things that we completely overlook. And maybe that's the, the lesson for us. Their clothes did not wear out. In other places, it speaks of that their so- the soles of their shoes didn't wear out for 40 years. I've never had a pair of shoes. I'm not 40 years old yet. But they've not lasted 40 years. And, um, and so, so God is taking care of His people. Um, but He does this for us as well. And But like I've said, it, it really causes me to consider what ways the Lord is uh, maybe providing to, providing for us that we are blind to or that maybe we're unthankful for. Um, or maybe even this could be the case, maybe even resentful for. So let's consider what the Lord the, the way the Lord has provided for us. but what we're reading is about the care of a good shepherd, leading his people, leading them to pasture. They have what they need to eat, they have what they need to drink, and they are uh, well taken care of. Verse 22. Thou didst also give them kingdoms and peoples. And thou didst allot to them a boundary. And it was a sizable and generous one. You might you might notice. And they took possession of the land of Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, the king of Bashan. And thou didst make their sons numerous as the stars of heaven. You know, we, we almost, I think maybe we should have started... Making a tally, maybe we could have put it on the you know the side of our PowerPoint or something of all the promises that God has fulfilled to His people as we're reading through this chapter. I think that's what um, it's just—it's hard not to see. Second uh, Peter chapter one verse four reminds us that we are the beneficiaries of precious and magnificent promises, and if we know that God provides that God. Uh, fulfilled his promises, uh, then we can know he will now as well. <clears throat> so their sons entered and possessed the land. Some hundreds of years later, he fulfills this promise, and it was not forgotten. And thou didst subdue before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites. And thou didst give them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of their land to do with them as they desired. Um, Now what I want you to look for here in verses 25 and 26 is an inescapable reference to the predictions and warnings of Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says in verse 25, they captured fortified cities and a fertile land. And these words now should start to begin to sound extremely familiar. They took possessions of houses full of every good thing. Hewn cisterns, vineyards, olive groves, and you can say, which they did not plant. And houses which they did not build. Why are, our, why are these words coming to our minds? Fruit trees in abundance. So they ate, were filled, and grew fat, and reveled in thy great goodness. But they became disobedient, and rebelled against thee, and cast thy law behind their, back, their backs. And killed thy prophets who had admonished them, so that they might return to thee. And they committed great blasphemies. The reason these things should sound familiar is because there was a prediction and a warning back in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Do you remember it? Um, let's turn there. I, don't, I won't have this one up there. It's, it's just ever so slightly lengthy. But in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10, what was going to happen? Well, He said, I'm going to bring you into a land, a good land. And when it comes about... When the Lord your God brings you into the land, which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities, which you did not build, and houses full of all good things, which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns, which you, which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant, and you shall eat and be satisfied, verse 12, then watch yourselves, then watch yourselves, that you do not forget. The Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. But in the retelling of their history in Nehemiah, what had they done? All of these things came to pass. And on top of that, they forgot. The reminder was lost to them. And um, it became a great source of uh, stumbling for them. And then verse 27 um, and thereafter, what you begin to see is a reference to the, the cycle of the oppression and then deliverance that we read during the time of the judges. Um, it says in verse 27, there, Therefore thou didst deliver them into the hand of their oppressors who oppressed them. But when they cried to thee in the time of their distress, thou didst hear from heaven according to thy great compassion, and thou didst give uh, give them deliverers who delivered them from the hand of of their oppressors, and you might say that's perfectly reasonable. The people left the Lord, but they realized the error of their ways. They repented, turned to the Lord, and He brought them back. What's not reasonable is what we read in verse twenty-eight. But as soon as they had rest, they did evil again before Thee. Therefore, Thou didst abandon them to the hand of their enemies. Don't get me wrong; this is very, this is very appropriate. <laughs> what the people are doing is so uh, inappropriate. But you might even ask, how could God forgive? How can it be? But it says at the end of verse 28, the answer is supplied. How can he forgive? Many times thou didst rescue them according to thy great compassion. Um, uh, We sing a song sometimes. I don't know actually if it's um, uh, familiar to us here. But the words of the song are, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. You remember that one? Do we know that one? I don't remember I will sing. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness. Your faithfulness to all generations. What, a, what a, an amazing song. And it, it, it is very godly for us to uh, sing that song and to tell these things. Um, verse 29. You admonished them in order to turn back to thy law. Yet they acted arrogantly. And did not listen to thy commandments, but sinned against thy ordinances. Now notice what it says about the ordinances of God. It's the ordinances by which if a man observes them, he shall live. And what you should, you, your Bible actually probably has a reference to <clears throat> Leviticus chapter 18. A very simple statement. And it's what we've been saying from Deuteronomy as well. These words are your life. But, it, but Leviticus says, So you shall keep my statutes and my judgments. By which, if a man uh, observe them, he shall live. And that's what we are uh, getting retold to us here. Um, But they rejected these things. And um, just like so many cattle or so many donkeys, uh, as they're described in other places, they turned a stubborn shoulder, there at the end of verse 29, and stiffened their neck and would not listen. However, thou didst bear with them for many years. So God's great compassion uh, is, is just abounding. And admonish them by thy spirit through the prophets. Yet they would not give ear. Therefore, thou didst give them into the hands of the people of the land. Nevertheless, in thy great compassion, thou didst not make an end of them, nor forsake them. What are we saying there? What is this talking about? Well, we've caught up to actually the current events of Nehemiah now. God has spared a remnant. He hasn't totally thrown them away um, when He sent them into captivity. In fact, He spared a remnant. And He went and sought them out. From the, Remember what we said? He'll seek them out from the farthest corners of the earth to which He sent them. And bring them back. And He planted them in the land again. So we're, 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 we've caught up to current times. I think this psalm is coming to an end. It is, in fact. You did not make an end of them or forsake them, for thou art a gracious and compassionate God. How many times should this be said? Um, I think they'll say it at least a few more. Um, Verse 32. So they they change their tone to seek the favor of the Lord. um, As they are, as we've said, in the process of amending their ways. Verse 32, Now therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and awesome God, who does keep covenant and loving kindness, do not let all the hardship seem insignificant before thee, which has come upon us, our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and on all thy people, from the days of the kings of Assyria to this day. They say, Remember us, Lord. Uh, things are, are not well. Verse 33, However, thou art just in all that has come upon us, for thou hast dealt faithfully, but we have dealt wickedly. We said very ba- uh, way back at uh, the beginning of our study that God's people are very careful, <laughs> even if they're saying, we're in a very bad position, and it's at your hand that this has come about, but they're very careful to clear God and say, you, in all of this, you are just. Um, but even so, they are seeking the Lord's favor. Um, so it says, Thou hast dealt faithfully, but we have acted wickedly. You'll remember Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. And they, and they are continuing to establish the justice of God by saying in verse 34, For our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our fathers have not kept thy law. Or paid attention to thy commandments and thine admonitions with which thou hast admonished them. But they in their own kingdom and with thy great goodness which thou didst give them did not serve thee or turn from their evil deeds. So they did not pay attention, did not keep the law. And as a result, their lives are not blessed. Their lives are not good. And in verse 36, behold, we are slaves today. And as to the land which thou didst give to our fathers to eat of its fruit and its bounty. Behold, we're slaves on it. We, have, we, don't even, we can't even eat of the land. It's been sold from us. <clears throat> that was chapter 5. And verse 37 concludes by saying, so we are in great distress. But um, 38 is where we return to this, the, the starting thought of the chapter. And these are not vain words. You will see this in their their attitude in chapter 10. Now, because of all of this, we are making an agreement in writing. And on the sealed document are the names of our leaders and Levites and our priests. They are going to be committing themselves, not just with word, but with signing a document to amend their ways. They are finally learning the lesson that the prophets have been saying. Jeremiah, chapter 7, verse 3 Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, amend your ways, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. And they're taking that seriously now. And they want to live in the land. And they want to possess it. And they want to amend their ways to make that, uh, to accomplish that. Now you may think, all right, we've done one chapter, and we've been here 40 minutes. (laughs) Chapter 10 will be quick, because we had much, much more to say about uh, chapter 9 than chapter 10. Oh, there's our there's our song. Um, what we see in chapter ten, verses uh, one through twenty seven, will uh, summarize some of this. But the leaders were leading God's people in the uh, commitment to turn to the Lord. And in verses one through three, as you would expect, some familiar names. Who do you see? Nehemiah, the, you know, the governor. Uh, Zedekiah, Zariah, Azariah, Jeremiah, Amariah. Um, Mal-Kijah, all of these expected names. And then following them, you'll read of the Levites in verse 10. Jeshua, and Azaniah, Benoite. Um, and then following them, <clears throat> the leaders of the people. Um, how many times are we going to notice just how refreshing it is to see the leaders of God's people um, causing them to, to go the right way? Um, so the leaders of God's people as well. And in verse 28... It envelops all of the people. And it says, Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, um, the temple servants, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of their God, their wives and their sons and their daughters, all those who had knowledge and understanding, are joining with their kinsmen, nobles, uh, and their nobles, and are taking on themselves, listen carefully, they're taking on themselves a curse and an oath to walk in God's law. God's law which was given through Moses, God's servant, to keep and to observe his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes. There's a very important statement in here that deserves our attention. They said that we are taking upon taking on us a curse and an oath. They're voluntarily asking for the following two things, I think. Asking for accountability and they're asking for a penalty. Now those aren't things we necessarily think are um, uh, you know, at, you know at a cursory glance are desirable. How in what way is a penalty desirable? Maybe accountability is, but what how could a penalty be? Well, so these two things align with what they're saying. It's a curse and an oath. Accountability is, This oath they're taking. We're writing our names down in a document. What you need to be seeing in chapter 10 of Nehemiah is people who are very serious about doing God's will. And very serious about not turning back um, to the former ways. And so essentially what they're saying is we are swearing to obey uh, God's word. Now we don't have to do this, but we can do something that's very similar. We don't have to... Um, have an actual oath come out of our mouth for us to say, I am absolutely going to serve the Lord all my days and to affirm this in our prayers and to affirm this with our brethren. Um, And accountability is very desirable um, because it uh, keeps us to um, doing doing God's word and those around us will be doing that for us as well. You signed a document. You said it with your words. You said... You wouldn't go back to the world. You said you would follow the Lord. Um, But then there's also this uh, curse they're taking upon themselves. And and it would go something like this, you know, may the Lord strike us. May the Lord blast us off this land if we're not faithful to the Lord. Um, And I put that just a little bit humorously. but, um, But this is a very serious thing. And they're willing to take it on because they're so serious about doing God's word. What a beautiful thing this is. And so they're all joining hands together. They are all signing this document um, so that they will be found doing God's word. That they will be found um, receiving the blessings from the Lord and seeking his favor and finding it because they've been faithful to him uh, for the first time in their history. We'll quickly summarize the, the very end of that chapter because what you're seeing there is... Um, People who are going to be separate from sin and holy to the Lord. And as part of their service, they um, are going to be contributing to the work. And they make sure that everything that is needed will be provided. And they are doing this willingly. <clears throat> everything that's needed for the sacrifices. Everything that's needed for the care of the house of the Lord and the people, uh, the people that serve the Lord. So the Levites and the priests. All of these are being provided for according to the, uh, God's ways. And um, that's what you're seeing there. And with the the result of all of this is the very last statement of verse uh, 39, the very last statement of this chapter. Thus we will not neglect the house of our God. I'll leave you with those words, and we'll have an invitation.